0: From the start, I had this ingrained feeling of 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 fly fishing, this 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 need for fly fishing uh, right from the start, and and it, and it was yeah it was uncontrollable in, in if you want to, if you want to describe it like that.
1: Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly Podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. For this week's episode, we catch up with Galway man, Ronan Crane, whose love of fly fishing and big brown trout has led him to New Zealand, where he hasn't left and is now firmly established as a full-time guide during the season. So just what is the life of a guide on some of the finest brown trout waters in the world really like, and does he miss the Irish fishing at all? Ronan will explain all in a few minutes, but first, Tom, we're at the start of May, and what so many people want to know is, are the jungle drums beaten, and can we utter the four immortal words, the Mayfly is up?
2: Oh, but I could be held. I could be held if I say anything, and it proves to be wrong. Oh, um, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this fence, I'm just balancing. Sort of. Look, yeah, okay. Um
1: a friend going to, to Loch this weekend, what should he be expecting?
2: This weekend, hopefully, because the weather's going to change, I think, and the, weather, the wind is to swing around. Hopefully, he should get a bit of fishing. Not much fly up there as of yet, though. So you're probably looking at all of us. Here we are on our part of Corrib. Very interesting. Uh, a week and a half ago, we would mayfly fishing. Well, one day, one small little bay, mayfly came up in good numbers, and we got fishing. And uh, Naturally, as you'd expect as a guide, I hounded that place for the next three days. I didn't see a mayfly in it. Really straight, and I've seen it happen before. It was a shallow Bay, the wind-suited uh, fly coming out of it, so they were getting blown out into deeper water, just at a right angle, and fish moved on to them. Sure, I expected that was it then, no problem, but um, no. Is it, Are we waiting for the temperature to lift a bit, or what are we waiting for? No, it's, it's, something will happen, i click it on. So, all right, here we are in Car, like on the on the jungle drums that we're talking about, it's been up in Loch Dirk for a week, so I hear. OK, that's that's what I'm hearing. So here, uh, Carver, is Lock
1: Derg usually a week or two.
2: Yeah, ahead? in the olden times, what they did when they when the, the gents, as they used to call them, could take a month off. the the What they would do, they would start at Lock Derg, move up to Corib or mask to Corib, mask the Western Lakes and then finish up on Sheelan. And that was traditionally the way the hatches went. Derg was the earliest. carb would have been. Next, and then Sheila would have been that bit later. So that's you know, that's the way it goes. Now it doesn't always hold that way. Um, but generally it's a it's a good rule of thumb. So this week I was out today, a few mayfly. I mean, that that what happened last week was a, com- a complete anomaly, but or should should I say it's a rare occurrence, it's happened to me before, I was lucky to hit upon it. But generally that day, nobody else saw Mayfly or whatever. I was just very lucky. All right, we put on we put on wet maize and covered rising fish and caught with them. Right. You know, it was amazing. And as I said, went back, not a sign of them there since. Well, it was actually passed by today, and there was a couple of mayfly in it. In fact, it was the only place I saw one gu- gull working.
1: So we're saying today, so that's the third of May. Yeah. So just in case people wondering, but do you think by the weekend, where are you going to uh, start? Yeah, I would
2: say so with the wind to swing around there's the, something about a, a westerly or so wet so westerly or westerly here just seems to bring them on. We did an easterly today. It wasn't nice. Yet we still caught we caught on Mayflies today, but uh it was patchy. Uh I didn't see I only saw a gull working in one spot, and that was only one gull working in that bay to a, a small hatch of mayfly, and uh, the rest of the lake. You'd see, you'd look ahead, and you you know, put it this way. You were pointing out mayfly to other people in the boat, okay? Yes, 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 You know, oh, look, there's one. You know, when it's up, you're not pointing them out. Tell me this, because
1: um, I've been there with you, and I'm fascinated by that whole, you know, the mayfly season and, and you know, the the, the the culture and crowds around it. Are you starting to see the people coming in now in expectation, the visiting anglers, the boats yeah, are out? Yeah, Are you starting to... to get that?
2: few the the boats out today, and I know where they'll be coming from. There'll be a couple of the higher boats out, uh, a few strange boats around, yeah, the numbers are just gradually coming up, and they'll they'll reach they'll start reaching high numbers this week, uh like we have a party coming this week on Saturday. uh Tunbridgewell, crew, Keith Nicholson and his crew, and they, they've been coming for over 30 years. Uh, and so would they come for the week, is it? They come for the week, they're arriving on Saturday night um john o'malley gets extra guinness in and and they'll be out sunday uh for six days fishing and um, so they're starting to come and i a couple of regular clients starting the weekend as well
1: so they you see and expect they'd have a good good week's fishing hopefully
2: yeah i'm just looking at the long-range forecast once again i don't I know i'm harking back to it but it, the wind is to switch westerly and southwesterly so that's that's what you're looking for
1: well, for those interested, we'll be doing an episode on it next week. Um, so we're going to get an update. So hopefully you'll have good news to, to report on.
2: Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I would. Sort I of. Sort of, yeah. I, don't, I love sort of. Sort of is great. It's got me out of so many corners. If I had to lean one way or the other, I'd go for it will be good. I'll, I'll hedge to that side.
1: It will be good. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, look, we'll, we, we'll find out more. we we'll get more details. And for those who are listening, uh, for the next few weeks in May, we are going to be getting regular updates around the um the lakes in terms of how the Mayfly is faring. And um, we'll also do a roundup at the end of uh, the Mayfly season as well, because it is such an important time and uh, people are interested in it. Um, So stay tuned for those episodes. But, Tom, uh, before we hear from Ronan Crane um, and his fly fishing life, down in New Zealand um, you were there yourself for five weeks tell yeah. us was, was that was that your bucket list trip
2: that that was probably my biggest the biggest item in my bucket list that was it yeah I'd always wanted to go and it was just yeah it was, it was a realisation of something I'd want to do for probably 30 years uh, which was great um, and I really have to thank Ronan sorted me out so well Going there. Rona was absolutely fantastic for everything. And only can only recommend him so I couldn't I couldn't recommend him too much. He was brilliant and set me right with everything. I mean, like I discussed it, there were things like the maps and everything. So it was just it was brilliant, the whole thing about it. I mean, the country itself, the people, everything about it. But it's very interesting. And he talks about it. I mean, I've said it to other people. Uh, I think I said there, it's you know, don't expect the land of milk and honey, you know. Don't it, you know? It's great. Listen to him talk, and uh, you know to 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 reiterate that as well. But um, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean,
1: is it purely the size of the fish that's why people go? Is it the chance of getting a PB brown trout?
2: Yeah, I I think that definitely plays a part of it. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, as fishermen, whether we. Actually, wanted one time or other. but we all go through a phase of wanting big fish. We all know that, you know. You you want you know. Not all of us stay in that phase, or whatever. But you know, there are times when you just want to catch a big fish. And if you don't want it all the time, it's still nice to catch big fish. But mm-hmm. I think what drew me to it, and and we discussed it there, own talks about it, is the actual stalking bit, mm-hmm. the hunting I mean, kind of. Yeah, the hunting part of it, and that was uh, the the biggest fish I got out there. Uh, we did that. And I remember just waiting for a minute. He mentions about, you know, the speed of the cast. And remember how he said about the fish circling around the pool? Mm. Yeah, the, the biggest fish I caught out there did that. Mm. And I remember having to wait and just wait. And it just took so long for it to do it. was like an age. But, it, you know, and it was funny when he was mentioning that. That brought the whole thing coming back to me. I remember that. And then he finally came, finally came down and straightened up in the pool. And then just moved back and then moved over to the other side. And that's when I covered it. And if truth be known, and I've said this about practicing the casting, I wasn't, I'd done better casts and flies have landed better, but it was a cicada. And I the cicadas are kind of like, in a way, they're kind of like their mayflies. And they're the worst flyers in the world. Like <laughs> the they're, they're crap flyers. Yeah, they just can't. And they can hit the water with a plop. And my fly hit the water with a plop. And I'd love to say it was intentional. I knew that by, you know, forcing that fly down at the last bit and, you know, creating that disturbance, it brought them over. I didn't intend to do it. It happened. And the fish just changed course entirely. It came over. And I still remember the white of its jaws. Ah, and as it closed on it. Yeah. So, but that was uh, eight and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah. Ronan Crane's story, it's brilliant. He is your classic. You know, we spoke about John Garrick living the dream. Ronan Crane, living minute. Sound yep. What I loved about it was when he said, I have this need to fish. <laughs> yeah. And to be yeah. around by yeah. fishing, you know, and that just he knew whatever way his life was going to go, he was yeah. just gonna be involved in that, like in some way, shape, or form. So but look, I tell you what, let's hear from Ronald Crane now. Um and I first asked him about his first experience of fly fishing in New Zealand.
0: My first experience of fishing in New Zealand was a bit unusual. Um I was working on the North Island um as a carpenter and uh, i was working flat out for weeks and weeks and weeks and then finally i got finally i got a break so i took off um and hitched down to a place called nanataha and um because i heard of some night fishing there and i actually my first new zealand fly fishing experience was fly fishing at night so i um i would i got to the nanataha river mouth and um got into this lineup like a picket fence in the middle in in the dark and um, everyone was casting away and I was in the wrong spot I didn't get anything but uh, I could see that the fella at the end of the line was in the right place so the following night I made sure I was out there earlier and I was the fella at the end and I had I got three great rainbows in the in the dark so that was my first that was my my intro to New Zealand fly fishing which is yeah very unusual one but um uh, but aside from that, I I mean I knew what the fishing was like and I knew what there was to offer. Um so I was, you know, that was just the first thing that became available and I grabbed it. And um from then I I took on all the other stuff in the day.
1: Did you go out just to fly fish or were you just over there for work or so? Uh, no, stuff I went out.
0: I, I came out here primarily to fly fish, but uh, um I had a a one year working holiday visa, which back then was very easy to get. If you were over, if you were under thirty or something, um, I imagine it still is. And uh, yeah, it was a fantastic opportunity to come out here, work, fish, enjoy the country, and, uh, and uh, yeah, get get a lot out of it. It's fantastic, fantastic year. You were doing the whole trout boom thing,
1: basically, like
0: yeah, yeah, I was, I, I was uh, before before the term was on it. Um, yeah, that was myself and my other mate Paul Arden. Uh, we used to just. Uh, get right into that lifestyle and uh yeah i kind of feel like we were sort of in some ways pioneers <laughs> years of it um yeah it was it was a great it was a great time you know uh traveling Europe up and down the country mainly the south island um and you know you spend all your money on diesel and beer and a f- two-minute noodles
2: <laughs> at what stage after yeah okay so you, you initially were trout bumming, as we'll say, and hitching around and diesel and beer. But at what stage did you suddenly ever think, God, you know, I could make a go of this? Was that earlier on or was it after you had been fishing a couple of seasons?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not 100% sure when, when, but I think, I I think from the very, from the moment I said foot in New Zealand, I knew that it was a country that could suit me long term. Um, And I think that was, that was, that that was ingrained from the start, because every time I would fly home from New New Zealand back to Ireland, I'd say, okay, next year now, I'll do something else, I'll go to Cuba, or I'll do, you know, some salt water, do something different. But every time I had enough money put back, put together again, it was like autopilot. I would just uh, book another trip to New Zealand, and then I'd say, okay, well, I'll do that other stuff next year, and then next year, the same thing would happen, and the next year, the same thing would happen. and and like I think it was just it, it sort of unknown to myself it was it, it it was it was happening from the start you know um, and uh, so it just made sense when the stars started to align and I moved out here full time.
1: Is there um, a lot of similar, I've never been to New Zealand. I've been to Australia, but I remember even talking to people who've been to New Zealand. There's a lot of similarities. Is there in terms of the kind of way of life, society, and culture over in New Zealand to Ireland, like?
0: Um, yeah, th- th- I think yeah, th- there are. I think one of the main things is 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 humor. Uh, the Irish humor and Kiwi humor are very much very very similar. You can have the crack over here, you know. It, 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 you, you're, we're not that far removed. Um, so yeah, it's it's, a, it's 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 there. There are similarities. The differences I never really noticed. I never felt like I was. Um, I never felt. Um, left out or different here I always just I just seem to fit right in you know so I guess there's a lot of similarities there would have to be for someone to fit in so easily I think yeah
1: and uh, some place to to be able to fit in um, with the fishing that's there I'll say actually do you know what the whole trout bum thing I think I'd recommend I I wish I'd done it now you know I never did the whole travelling around interrailing or any of that I used to go on the J1 summer visas but I never did the kind of year or two of travel so yeah there's something very appealing about it, isn't it? like finish up in college, take your fly rod, <laughs> make a destination and and go traveling yeah. around and just bum it for a while
0: like absolutely I, I think if I, I was i was I feel like I was really lucky in how it panned out for me because like i i i left i finished college and I was twenty or twenty twenty or twenty one or something, and I was kind of fecking around Ireland for a few years. Waiting for the opportunity to go to New Zealand, I was sort of waiting on a friend, and eventually I just said, "No, I'll just go and do it on my own." And for the next ten years, I did it on my own, um, and I managed to not get tied down by work or women or anything. I just kept, um, kept, kept doing it, kept fishing, and and you know, so like,
2: but you probably consciously did that, Ronan, didn't you? Well, I I think sort of, yeah, I I, I yeah to keep it open. I mean, it, it really. I remember chatting to you before. I mean. When you came back to Ireland, like I know you were saying initially you were probably thinking of going to other places, but I remember you telling me when you came back to Ireland, the whole goal of coming back to Ireland was getting enough to get out there well, yeah, again, wasn't that, it? That was all that was
0: <laughs> That was always the thing, just to yeah, just do whatever to make and do whatever to put as much together as you can and then and then go. Yeah.
1: Were you able to, like, just get a rolling kind of visa? You'd apply for, again, another year, get another year-long oh, well, visa?
0: The, yeah, so the visas, it was just holiday visas. And um, uh-huh. so because I'd often stay for six months, after three months, you could just apply for an extension. and it was, Especially in the early days, it was very easy. you just apply for an extension, get another three months, and then you could stay for six months. And I used to stay for three to six months every year, mostly usually closer to six Um and I do. I, I would also kind of. I I sometimes go to Australia for a month or two in the middle, um, uh, for well, for two reasons. Number one, to go to Australia, and number two, because when I came back into New Zealand, it would refresh the visa. Um, I mean, once I was, I went for a week, just pretty much only to refresh the visa. It was because I left it to the last minute, and there wasn't time to do it the proper way, so I had to just leave the country. But um, yeah, there was always a way, you know, where there was a where there's a will, there's a way.
2: And, and those early forays, those things, you were just fishing. Just, just fishing. <laughs> fishing every day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> fishing every day.
2: How did you do? For, now, I know from in there, uh, it was great. I mean, you sorted me out so well when I was there. But transport is crucial. Transport is, is crucial getting around. Yeah. Um, for two for carrying all your clobber, for getting there. And also for having a kip in as well, yeah. for, for sleeping. So how did you, what did you do for a 4 by 4 or whatever? when you were starting off there? So
0: in, initially I hitchhiked because I had nothing and I couldn't afford a car. <laughs> um, So I, I, I remember arriving in Christchurch one time and going to the tackle shop and I said to the fella in the tackle shop, I said, um, can you point me in the direction of a place where I can, like where there's a, like a, a bit of a village where there might be a place to go and have a pint, a feed, maybe a backpackers or a, or a, or a, a place to pitch a tent and an all-in walking distance of some sort of half-decent fishing. And he sent me to a place called Kuro to fish the Waitaki River. And he gave me these little pinpoint locations to go down. And one was on a bridge. He said, you, you can walk out on this bridge. You can sort of climb over the bridge and swing in under the bridge and climb, get onto a ladder. It's a rickety old ladder. You have to watch yourself. And he said, if you climb down that ladder, you can get onto this island. Um, anyway, I did exactly that. And it was f- amazing, amazing fishing. And uh, um, that bridge is gone now. Anyway, I kind of went off the off the... Off the topic. But uh, so basically, I I hitchhiked in the early days and then I bumped into a mate. I bumped into Paul Arden and he had a vehicle. So once I met up with Paul, we just uh, shared the costs of of travel, um, which was basically diesel because Paul didn't put any money into the maintenance of the vehicle whatsoever. But somehow they managed to get us through.
2: (laughs) How long did it last? The vehicle? (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: Surprisingly, it lasted. (laughs) <laughs> uh, multiple seasons uh, and then it wow. actually didn't even die somebody crashed into the back of it
1: <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't write a book uh, about it Ronan yes like, just oh, like some look, great stories uh,
0: I, yeah I don't know well you know I've been writing a blog for the last 15 years or something and I've got I've got a I've got a quite a serious document of, of information there um, so who knows a book may not be out of the question but not right now or not in the foreseeable future but you know maybe down the line yeah, there's a few stories in there, all right.
2: Can I just say the blog is absolutely fantastic. We'll give the links for it oh, afterwards. Thanks, I'm Tom. Yes, thank you. Page. Thank you. But I just, now I'm jumping a bit there, because I just want to go back into something that you mentioned there. And I, I found this in New Zealand. Uh, is fantastic. You went into a tackle uh, shop and you got perfect directions of where to go. And I really find that over there. You know, people, all other anglers, shops and everything were really, really helpful in getting you to a fishing spot if you asked. And I've really found that there own most other anglers, shops and everything really good at sharing knowledge of getting to good fishing spots.
0: Yeah, that's the, I mean that's true. Uh and if if you want information, there's information out there. You can come over here and get good info from the tackle shops or um or from, from just anglers you meet on the river.
2: Would that be changing a bit as it's getting more popular though?
0: Um no, I don't think so. I no. I I don't think so. I think if you're if if you if you're a, a a decent sort of a fella and you strike up a conversation with another decent sort of a fella, you'll get you, people will people will share information, and people are happy to share. Um, and I I, I certainly will. Um, you know I'm not going to give somebody everything, but I'll I'll give somebody good solid information that that'll set them up for some nice fishing. Um, and uh, and I think that's 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 generally the case. Uh, yeah.
2: You you gave me you gave me a map. I was like it was like. I remember do you remember the pirate maps yeah. and X marks. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was fantastic. I still have it here at the desk. It's yeah, great. And you have everything marked and a little bit of backwater here. And I never forget one X is smaller fish here, yeah. and the next is bigger fish here. And I, I tell you, I went to the smaller fish, and yeah, I got smaller fish. <laughs> moved up to the other spot and started getting graduated to the bigger fish. <laughs> Oh, it, was, it was brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that that that's cool. But not everyone gets that treatment, Tom. You realize that?
2: Oh, <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> I took you out when you were fifteen, coming to Cornwall.
0: <laughs> has it
1: changed much in terms of the busyness of the fishing?
2: Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. It it has. Um, it's getting busier here now. We've come off a very unusual year this year. Um, in that uh, we we had a lot of anglers arriving who were chomping at the bit over COVID, people who could, maybe people who came every one or two or three years all arrived together. Uh, so there was a lot of extra pressure on the rivers. And then also you had on the North Island some incredible flooding, which which de- which displaced a lot of anglers and pushed them all down, or not all, but a lot of them down to the south. So you had a few factors that that pushed a, a lot of anglers down here this year. So basically COVID and the floods on the North Island um, so this year was was the busiest year in anyone's memory. Like um, particularly down south, um, you, you know, you, all you could hear, all I heard was stories about, um, uh, well, just anglers everywhere. You know, thankfully, where I am now, it was peaceful enough. I didn't have to deal with it. But um, in in general, uh, yes, this year was busy. It is getting a little bit busier, but I think next year we'll come back to a sort of a norm. And hopefully, hopefully it will, because um although fishing Game, we're already taking measures to uh, change this, change how the change the licensing to try and uh, take the pressure off certain rivers, because uh, basically really leaning towards resident anglers and uh, going to make it a little bit tighter for uh, non-residents over here. So that's that seems that it looks like that's in the pipeline. Um But we'll, we'll see There's there's been a. Uh, they're just putting out some uh putting the feelers out to see how they can change it they have some ideas and uh yeah we just have to wait and see how that goes
1: and in in terms of the fishing um Ronan is it very much like take the tourists like it's, it's mainly guides, is it taking tourist like would you have you know some anglers who will try and do this the self-guided route or what's the kind of yeah, yeah look,
0: absolutely you can do you can do both both ways I mean uh I mean, I could, I never got it. I never had a guide back in the days when I was traveling. It was just so simply unaffordable for me. Um, but I had time. And I think any, I think that's for, for any angler who has time, you can figure it out yourself. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I think, and I think that's what it's down to. There's the anglers who are like me coming over for ex, for extended periods. Don't probably buy a, don't hire a guide. They can wing it themselves, figure it out for themselves over time. Um um and then yeah there's the others i mean it's it's always it, hiring a guide at the start is also beneficial because you can you can sort of speed the process up and um
2: i think exactly because i was in that situation i wasn't there for a short time but i wasn't there for a very long time yeah. you know i remember I actually remember chatting to you beforehand Ronan, and i'd initially said three weeks and you just sort of went mm, bit short bit short if you can get more so i, I pushed it out to five weeks yeah. uh so, which to me seemed like a really long time until I was actually getting on the plane coming back because it flew. Yeah. <laughs> right. But um, uh, getting a guide for the couple of days and having yourself and it really, it really just sort of fast tracks you, Ronan. Doesn't it, it? Does sort of just fast track. Yeah. it, You know. It,
0: it does. There's no, there's no doubt about it that if you're coming over for, for, for even whether it's a short stay or a long stay, you can, you can, you can benefit from. Having somebody to point you, somebody, a professional to put you in the right direction because, um, you know, when you when you arrive out here and, you, and you're faced with the rivers and the lakes and you don't know anything about them, it's very daunting and pretty overwhelming. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, for me, because I had time, that was great fun. I loved that feeling. Uh, but if I had a week or two, I'd be flipping terrified because I wouldn't have a clue what to do.
2: Well, if I'd only had a week or two, I was th- I, like... I have a classic one because, you know, I was with Wes one yeah. day, right? And I was earlier on there, w- Wes, here, and it was early on the trip. And fish spotting is, we we'll discussed this maybe later, but spotting fish is so crucial. Yeah. I mean, you know that. Yeah. I, I've been with you and you're fantastic. But now it took me a while to get it, but definitely in the first week, there was no way. The first, it took me about two weeks and then I could get into it. But I, I was with uh, Wes one day and he was, there's a fish there. You see him, and I went no, and a fish there. And you see him no, and I got sick of saying no to him, right? Yeah. Sick of saying no to him, and he goes, there's a fish up there at the head of the pool. I just said, Oh yeah, I see him, and he said, Should you ever go with this one,
0: And <laughs> 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 I can't see. <laughs> I said,
2: oh, I I oh, no 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 Wes. You ever go at this one? I remember him. And then when he started to cast. I could just see it, but then after a while, it does come to you. You spot little things with her. You might just see a pectoral fin move, and you just go, "Wow, hold on, yeah." And just some, and so it does come to you. But to have to do that, if you were limited to, well, I know me personally, if I'd have been limited to two weeks, there's no way I would have been able to do it on my own. It took me, took me a week and a half, two weeks to get into everything.
0: I remember my on my first trip out here, a friend of mine was took me out with a guide, uh, my old friend Bob Toffler. And, uh, so this was a real treat for me. I had been doing it my way for, for, you know, for whatever length time that was, maybe a few months at that stage. And, uh, I went out with this fella down in, uh, Gore called Bunny Burgess and, uh, great name. Oh, but look, I'll tell you what, what an eye opener this was. <clears throat> uh, so number one, it, I realized I was fishing loads of. The wrong water altogether. I was walking past where I should have been fishing and I was fishing where I should have been walking past. That that was one thing I learned from him. And the other thing I learned from him was was spotting fish. Now like what you described, he was pointing out fish to me and I couldn't see them. I could <laughs> not see them. And he would so he pointed to me, see that one there beside that white rock. No. And I cast my fly there and I catch the fish. And I actually thought he was taking a piss. I thought he just knew there'd be fish there. That that's how kind of frustrating it was for me. But then at <laughs> yeah. a certain point in the day, I realized, no, 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 he can see them, and then I knew what I had to be able to do. So uh, yeah. that was a real good lesson. So I, and again, Matt, I, I, like fat, I, like I, I increased my learning curve there by like fifty times in that day, I'd say.
1: Actually, Tom, you t- maybe from an outsider's perspective, what is it like the you know, like Ronan mentioned, there kind of it can be a bit intimidating. Like when you first arrive I'm, like I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking Lord of the Rings here. <laughs> I mean, the big craggy mountains, the valleys. Yeah, they you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, tell, give us your impression, of when you arrived in Well,
2: I, fi- I actually fished in a couple of places where it was full of orcs
1: roaming uh, around. Like, you know,
2: yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't go that far. Now Gandalf <laughs> prancing by. Oh no, no. Um, my my thing coming back in it is it was brilliant but you know there was places how do i put it it's not completely the land of milk and honey you can have difficult fishing in places there i found you know at a couple of places where i didn't do well but um so my expect I, i'm i think chatting to on beforehand my expectations were i won't say we I mean just i was given a, a a good sort of background beforehand you know of what to expect um i blanked a couple of days you know, to say that, and you know, and it can happen went to a couple of places as well that just was completely overawed with um, but yeah, had some fantastic fishing as well, uh, and things went right. And plus the fact as well, when after been there a while, when you get into it, and it was really good to hear you say that, Ron about spotting the fish because that would just really threw me, yeah, I, I found that I found to be honest, yeah, I found it a bit intimidating, yeah, initially, yeah, wow. You, whew, I, I'm I'm out of this. No, I can't do this. Yeah, I I cannot do this. But then you can. Yeah, you, you actually can. But how did I feel about it? Fantastic. Came back uh, thinking, yeah, this is this is one of the best places in the world that I've been to. Um, but what I always say to people going out there, you know, don't expect a fish of chalk. Don't expect to catch loads of fish. There are places you can go where you can catch lots of fish. Um, but there are places that can go and I was at a couple of them that can skunk you. Of course there are. But there's still I, Yeah,
0: one of, my, one of my experiences with guiding is that people's expectations are actually very realistic. People generally don't mind if they blank or at least that they're very gracious if they do, you know, they understand that this is fishing um, and I think they're pretty well versed on the New Zealand fishery. It's not a place to go and catch a shitload of fish. It's actually a place to go and work hard for uh, a small number of really good fish, that's what this fishery is. So, it, 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 you know, th- that's that's the key. So, absolutely, tell people coming out here: if you want to, co- if you if you if reeling in fish is your thing, don't come to New Zealand. If if you want to hunt and stalk and enjoy really good fishing, and you and you and you can put yourself. You know, in the position where you have to figure it out and make the cast, and you know, then come here. This it, it's a it's a nicely challenging fishery. It's not so challenging that you can't catch fish, but it's challenging. Um, it can kick your ass, and uh, it can give you the some of the greatest experiences you'll have fly fishing. So it's, you know, it, it's it's a it's a cool fishery uh, and i think it has to be able to kick your ass if it, if because it, if it doesn't uh, you you know you just you can't really enjoy it
1: do you need to be a bit more experienced then to kind of really you know you wouldn't want to be trying to figure out what a
0: roll cast
1: is on the river kind of like.
0: yeah look it's definitely a casting game out here if you can cast really well you'll do very well if you can cast accurately fast um uh, you know for, you know first time accuracy uh the those are the keys that will that will set you apart. Um
2: I, that, I would say that if I was to do it again before I went out, I would definitely have spent more time practicing my casting. Accuracy. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So practice your casting, practice your short game. Speed is mm. another one. I think speed is the most under underrated skill out here. Mm. Um and I think and it's something you can practice, like how fast you could get your fly off the rod and twenty or thirty feet in front of you that that is key i mean i i it's something that um something that i that i see all the time guiding like a, a you know you, i can see a shot literally there's seconds to take that shot and i know i can do it because i've been doing it for years i know i can just unhitch hit the to fly tap the rod you know and make that shot uh whereas i'm, I'm looking at this client and i know he's not going to make it and i know that shot is lost and it's disappointing um so it's, it's and it comes down to practice. This is something you practice.
2: Do you mean from the speed to get the fly onto the fish while it's still moving? Yeah. Yep. Because they wait too long, the fish may become inactive again. No,
0: not so much to come inactive. They, it, usually it's a scenario like there's a fish coming at you on a lake. He's coming towards you. If you don't All get right, that yeah. fly in front of that fish at 20 feet, when he gets to 15 feet, he's going to see you. So you've got the length of time it takes him to swim from 20 feet to 15 feet. That's how how long you have To make the shot and uh so so, like that's one scenario river scenarios are similar you know sometimes fish you know cruise cruise around the back of a pool and then they move up to the head of it again and just there's a short window when they come into when the shot is attainable and uh you have to be able to make it um and sometimes a shot just appears out of nowhere like suddenly you're walking the river and there's a fish and he's under you you know i mean are you able to actually get the fly off the rod and put it you know make a really really short shot Every, you know, a lot of fellas can throw twenty yards or twenty-five yards or more, but um, a lot of those lads can cast the length of their leader. You know, and and that's very—you catch a lot of fish over here, um, just out of, just out of the rod tip. You know, so there's there's a lot of skill sets. It's hard to describe it all, you know. But when you come here and you fish here for a while, it sort of makes sense. You you, you need to, uh, you know, your your short game, your accuracy game, your fast game, and your long game sometimes.
1: Is it mainly dry fly
0: fishing you're turning around or is no, it no. whatever the conditions are? So it's mostly it's mostly subsurface. So okay. uh so the most of the time fish are nymphing. Um so the this the standard approach over here is it is it I is the dry dropper, the New Zealand dry dropper. Of course it's used in other countries as well. It's a it's a very good it's a very good standard setup for river fishing. Where you fish a dry fly and about uh, three foot or whatever it, whatever it suits but as a general rule three foot under your dry you hang a nymph um so as you're walking up the river looking for trout drought or looking for likely water um that rig will cover you for a huge amount of of scenarios so it's a really good uh general approach um that the dry dropper but there's also you, you know if, if of course if there's a hatch on or if there's fish taken terrestrials you can fish a single dry um and uh you know and everything else in between from deep nymphing worms eggs streamers whatever
1: and is it like a five white you're using or
0: I, I i like a six i prefer a six as a general rod over here because very often you're faced with um conditions that that where a bit more power is 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 beneficial so wind being the main one um so and also sometimes you know bigger fish you can stick it to them with six weight better so i i prefer i prefer a six weight as a general rod
2: that's interesting because when i went out there i planned to use my uh five weight rod that's the one i plan to use and i ended up using the six weight rod a nine foot six weight rod, way more and exactly for just said there on the, the power conditions with the wind yeah. and whatnot and also as well kind of bigger fish as well
0: yeah exactly <laughs> and i mean wind is the most difficult variable over here you know um and you find in a lot of the areas that the the, the rivers all tend to all tend to flow um, a certain direction. So when the when the wind is wrong for one, it can be wrong for lots of them or all of them. <laughs> so um, if you can't deal with the wind, that's another thing that's going that that can that can hurt you a bit over here.
2: We mentioned there earlier on, and something I'd like to bring up with you, and I think it's probably I would say the great untapped resource, but something that you've been doing that has been left, and that is the lakes out there. They've kind of been left untouched in a lot of respects and you've actually taken take it upon yourself to to set about fishing them more often, haven't I you? Have. Look,
0: I had. Look, I love the lakes. I absolutely adore the lakes. Growing up on the lakes back home when I arrived out here and I saw this, I saw these lakes uh, just, yeah, they blew me away. They were massive. I mean, just these huge, huge bodies of water um, and, uh, you know, yeah, there, there weren't that, People certainly, Kiwi anglers fish the lakes. Uh, tourist anglers don't. I mean, it's, it's funny when you ask a tourist, do you want to fish lakes? They'll usually say no, and they're almost offended by the question sometimes. Um, <laughs> and that's fine with me, but they, they, they just don't, they don't know what it is. Uh, the lakes here are magnificent. Uh, the style of fishing, the, the diversity in the fishing, you know, you can have, you can fish flats, you can fish lake flats, like acres and acres and acres of knee-deep water. For cruising trout on a sunny day, it's flipping unbelievable. I mean, it's bone crushing, <laughs> um, and uh, you know you can also just work weed beds with bully buggers or walk the edges, sight, sighting fish around the edges, which is which is also you know incredible fun. Um, and they it's a year round fishery too, which is which is other another another great thing. Most of the lakes stay open year round, and there's brilliant fishing to be had um, where any, any place a river flows into a lake, fish congregate there. Uh, from now on, like from this time of year, right through the winter, and there's really superb fishing to be had. So it's a very, very diverse fishery. And also, one of the places they're a real savior is is when the river when there's fl- in in times of flood when all the rivers are are in are in are in flood and not fishable. Um, the lakes are perfect, and so you can fish them anytime.
2: Kabir, I remember when you were out there, we started of talking about it. Lock style and getting a boat out. I know you've been sort of thinking of that for years, like to get uh should we say an Irish yeah. boat out, uh, an Irish fancy, uh or any of that. Yeah, I look I have a bird. Any, boat any, I need any progress go. on that? <laughs> yeah. I have the boat. Have you tried um, yeah. I, well, I have the- I've seen a couple of the I've seen the YouTube, you've done a YouTube video of was it on Pukaki and you were drifting the shoreline? Oh, yeah. Was it Pukaki That's or right. we? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Lake Pukaki is a Lake
0: in the middle of the South Island, right? Yeah, I I have to explain the my my lock styling in New Zealand, uh, and this and my my (laughs) and and what how this worked out for me. It's I I find it kind of interesting. So when I arrived here and I saw the lakes, I thought, okay, this is going to be. I want to fish lock style here. You know, no one's going to be doing (laughs) it. It's going to be deadly. Uh, So I'm going to go out there. I'm going to fish, fish, fish lock style, and so I went out and I started fishing lock style, three traditional wet flies um, on a on a long leader, floating line, fishing in the waves uh, from a boat or from the bank and just work in the water that way. And it's interesting when you're faced with a blank canvas, as in you, you come to a country where you know nothing, you, you start to think much more objectively. Um, whereas in Ireland, I was told everything, I was told this is what you do, this is how you do it. So when I have a default setting in Ireland, and the default setting is three lot, three flies on a floating line and you cast and you strip. So I took that same default setting over here, but very quickly I realized, okay, I'm only getting about one in 10 fish on the middle fly. So I'm not going to fish the middle fly. I'll take, I'll remove it. So I I had a, so then I had two flies. So I had a bob fly and a point fly. And um, so then I started catching kind of even it, around 50, 50 on the point and the bob. So I said, okay, this is kind of working. So. And then I changed the bobfly. fly, sorry, changed the tail fly to a woolly bugger because at the end of the day, lock style is a way of covering water, right? It's not, it's not necessarily a, a finesse tactic. It's just a way to cover a lot of water quickly. Um, so I put a woolly bugger on the tail and then I started to catch most fish on the woolly bugger. So I eliminated the bobfly. fly. So suddenly Irish lock style has become a single woolly bugger. Um, and to me, don't now... say not too
1: loud, Ron
2: <laughs>
0: To me now, there's virtually no place I can think of where Irish lock style would be the best tactic to use out here. Now I want to be proven wrong on that. I love some. <laughs> hey, look, listen.
2: But <laughs> we're setting we're setting up a stake and some timber here and some firewood. <laughs> it's all right. Hey, look, no, I, look, I know it works in Ireland. This, and you've I been not... away
1: too long, Ronan. You've been away. no.
0: I, I, I would, stop out of it man as soon as I get back to Ireland I'll put on my three flies and I'll fish them with confidence again I guarantee you that because I've seen it in Ireland too, I've gone full circle I've tried all the other stuff but I come back to the, I come back to Lachsail, there's a reason Loxile worked in Ireland it, it, it's, it's, it evolved over hundreds and thousands of years yeah. of flight fishing and in New Zealand
2: when you're over here in June with me and I see the woolly bugger <laughs> the <laughs>
0: Oh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I might have to bring it out.
2: (laughs) But that's really interesting. So you know, even after trying it and all the different methods, and I tried the woolly bugger in the lakes there, and it does work. Yeah, it really does. Oh look, you know,
0: if you want to just cover water, if you want a blind blind fish covering water, a a small streamer or a streamer, small woolly bugger, big woolly bugger, streamer is the way to go. Um, It's just, it just is. It's it's the best method. like, and uh, yeah, it's. I'd love to say that there's that there are certain places where locks, Irish lock style is the best method, but in my experience here so far, there isn't one.
2: Kabir are there any lakes where you could try, let's say, our lock style buzzer fishing?
0: Oh look, no buzzer. That's a that's a different thing. I mean, buzzer fishing is not lock style, and uh, bu- buzzer fishing is deadly over here buzzer fish is it yeah, it's absolutely deadly when if you get fish that are that are feeding on midge uh, on chironomid, and you fish buzzers you're you're getting to something you're you're fishing what they're feeding on yeah. and you'll catch fish they're, they're, it's it's absolutely unbelievable um, and the and the Irish lads that would come over here that are good at buzzer fishing and that would take that tactic onto certain legs at certain times particularly early morning evening it's phenomenally good um, and it's it's not necessarily the uh, you know four flies on a twenty foot leader, or so, or, you know it's also um, just fishing a single buzzer just under a dry. Um, uh, not necessarily epo- sometimes epoxies, sometimes just just uh, just lightly dressed buzzers. Um, but look, buzzer fishing is phenomenal, and it's and of all the methods in New Zealand, it it would be one of the it it, it, it I feel like it hasn't really been pushed much yet. Um, And it's possibly because even when fish are feeding on on midge, you can generally catch them on other nymphs if you fish them well, uh, good presentations and all that, you know, you can still generally pick them up. So maybe people haven't really pushed out into getting really into buzzer fishing because I feel like it's not really, um, it's not something that that's really prevalent here yet, but I think it, you know, maybe will be in the future.
2: Another thing, I don't think I move moving away from the fish in there um, and it, it, I kind of was I won't say shocked, but when I was over there and it was just goes to show that you know how one we're just one world now was the problem with the, the didymo the weed
0: yeah look didymo, didymo arrived here in 2005 or 04 or something like that and it, could you tell people what it is actually well, what it, explain what, what it didymo is. is it's it's um it's an invasive algae weed that's uh, known as rock snot. It uh, basically looks like wet lumps of yellowish toilet paper on the riverbed. Um, and it, and it, in extreme cases, it can be, um, it, it's pretty horrible. It can it can overtake a, a, a river and uh, completely fill it bank to bank. Generally in tailwaters where there's a constant flow with a constant temperature, that's where it, where it really does well. But thankfully it doesn't hold very well in the average river because it floods frequently. Um, and the you know the the um the flow of the flow of water of the river ranges from very low to very high, and uh, it doesn't seem to do well. Dimo doesn't do well in those conditions, so while it's not great, it hasn't been the end of the world out here thankfully um it's it looked like for a long time it was gonna be the end of the world because I remember pre diddymo, I remember the rocks being just clean and gray and stunningly beautiful. And it certainly had a big impact. I mean, there are some rivers that are, it's very, very sad when you look at the rivers, like the Wyow down in Tiano or the Waitaki or the Buller. When you see those big rivers that are flowing out of those big tailwaters, it is very sad to see how they've how they've changed. Um, but uh, on the smaller rivers where most of the fishing fishing uh, happens, uh, thankfully the Didymo hasn't been detrimental.
2: Oh, right. that's that's good to hear actually that's yeah. good to hear because when i was there it was still i was going into um, into the back con- uh, the back country and i remember there was uh there was regulations about having everything clean yeah, and there still is and yeah, that before. so that's yeah. It. Yeah.
0: only in only in Fjordland as far as i'm aware uh Fjordland, yeah which yeah. is a good thing because uh, there's some incredibly pristine rivers in there um i mean i'm not sure to be honest, like what what it's achieving. I mean, realistically, you're going to have ducks flying up and down the river from a lake with diddymo to a river that doesn't. So, I'm not sure that 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 it's not present, or I think it's more likely that the rivers just flood more flood violently enough to wipe it out. But um, whatever the reason is, uh, it, um, uh, the Department of, Con- of Con- uh, Conver- Conversation Conservation conversation. are, are no, uh, all... steps to make sure that it stays out. So that's a good thing.
1: Back to yourself a bit, um, just give people a little bit of background, just um, where you grew up in Galway and um, just your own fishing, obviously, uh, in Ireland.
0: I grew up in a little town called Roundstone in the, in the west of Ireland. Uh, my father was Joe Crane, and uh, grandfather was Paddy Crane, both, both the very seasoned anglers. Um, and uh, I grew up fishing with both of them. Uh, my grandfather is is gone since nineteen ninety nine, but my father is still very much here, thankfully. Um, and um, as so, people
1: would have heard on the uh, the, the podcast, Tom.
0: Huh? Oh yeah, yeah, yes, that's right. Yes. Of course, we've that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, um, so yeah, but my I I was born into fly fishing. I I was I was immersed in it from the time I was born. Um, and uh, and. I knew from the very start that it was for me. Like, there was no question about it. Um, and it wasn't always easy getting into it. It wasn't necessarily easy getting into it. Dad was such a focused angler that he, like, he always helped me on the legs. But, you know, sometimes it, it was definitely a bit of an inconvenience to get my tangles out and when I, my hands are too cold to get them out. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but I I, I kept at it till I was able to. Do it.
1: Did you, growing up, did you envisage a life in fly fishing for yourself? Did you just, you know, it's not like you kind of go. I'll have a life, a fly fishing career. Like, was but was it something that you just knew you had to have around you all the time?
0: Was yeah. That... Well, oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it was from the start. I had this kind of in. I had this ingrained feeling of 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 fly fishing. This 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 need for fly fishing, uh, right from the start. Um, and and it, and it was, yeah. Though was it was uncontrollable. In in if you want to if you want to describe it like that um, like I remember remember myself and my old mate John O'Malley we used to hitch hitch all over the country as kids Um, 13, 14, 15 just just hitching all over the place Um, uh, with our fly rods and a tent and uh, arriving in God knows where and and then we couldn't we couldn't get you know we'd fish till till it was nearly dark and then we tried to hitch home and sure we couldn't get back home and we'd have to ring Joe O'Malley John's father to come and get us from God knows where and Joe would come and get us alright but he'd be... <laughs> he was never he wasn't happy picking us up from uh, Westport or wherever we wherever we made it back to oh God I remember one time actually we, we got a lift with a I won't mention any, any names now but we got a lift out of uh, um where the hell were we um trying to get back from Westport we ended up in um, Leenad and we said, sure, we'll go into the pub. Now, we weren't drinking age. We went into the pub to see if there was anyone there heading our way. And we found one fellow that was going our way. And uh, we thought he only had one or two pints. Sure, we got into the back of the van with them. And he went out the road. And he was absolutely steaming. And we, we, were... <laughs> anyway, we went around the corner. We met the cops coming against us. Your man got nervous. Drove straight into the ditch. Uh, and uh, the van went. Uh, uh, the van was at... I was more than forty five degrees. I was in the back and I got thrown up against the door and a full bag of spuds down on top of me. John was in the front and he was up against the door and, and the driver nearly landed on top of John. But he got back onto the driver's seat and he floored it and somehow popped out of the ditch and back onto the road. But the cops knew something was up and they turned and they and they um oh they bagged the poor fella and he he, he, he got done. But they left myself and John there to walk home. <laughs> lonely cops that they were and uh so we had to walk from Ann to Letterfrack and uh and then we got a, we got to the phone box in Letterfrack and phoned Joe O'Malley to, to come and to bring us bring us back to Clifton
1: and got a bollocking
0: oh yeah we did
2: <laughs> come here more importantly did you catch that day <laughs> oh we did yeah we got a fin
0: fish in Moorer Lake
1: it was worth it so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tell you you don't you wouldn't get that in New Zealand now I tell you no, no. <laughs> um, you're a full time guide now during the season. So is that like six months of the year? Is it or? Uh,
0: yeah, it's basically six months of the year. So it's it's uh, October to the end of April. Um, the season stays open till the end of May on certain rivers, and um, and then through the winter on the lakes and some rivers. So, but yeah, the majority of the of the guiding work is from October to the end of April, and uh, during that time period, I'm very busy. And uh, yeah, during the winter, that it's it's quiet. But you pick up a few days.
2: Yeah, you'd still do a few days, and like you'll do a few days this month now, won't you? Yeah. In May
0: yeah. May is May is okay. Uh, May is usually usually pick up like I don't know somewhere between four and eight, or maybe ten days if you're lucky in May. Uh, currently, I've got four days booked in for the end of the month. That's it right now. Um, but more May more will probably come.
1: And is it um, in the winter over there? It's just the lakes. Then people would fish. Then is it
0: Yeah, in the winter, it's it's primarily lakes, and then you just focus your attention around areas where fish are likely to congregate. So river mouths are, are, are the, the main one, or shorelines leading up to river mouths too. You know, so if they, there's generally, uh, fish tend to migrate hold, hugging the shorelines. So um, you know, you, you can work shores near river mouths and do do pretty well. Wow,
1: um, and you've really kind of. Settled down now, like isn't it? New Zealand is your home now, like Ronan is. Yeah, it, like yeah. New,
0: Zeal- New Zealand is 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 one home. Ireland is always home, um, but uh, no, New New Zealand is 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 where I live and it's home as well. Um, yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a lovely place to be. I'm very happy and lucky to be here. How long have you been over there now? Uh, well, my first visit was in 2002, so I'm here over Uh-oh. 20 years now.
1: Wow. Yeah, uh, is it fair yeah. to say it's you know? You're there in the in the mecca of brown trout.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, it, it is a it is a brown trout mecca. I mean, I can wander down to the, I can just walk from the house to the river and catch trout. And, you know, and uh, there's, I can take the kids down there and they can catch fish. And it's 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 it's. I don't have to travel to the end. Of, I don't have to drive very far to find trout. And but if I do, I can find more and potentially better fishing. So I mean, it, it is great. Look. It, it's not without its pressures though, you know, like um you, you know, there, there's there's big pressure from farming and water using usage here and how water is used and sometimes abused and you, you know, like the the, the river I'm the, the river that I live on is the most over allocated river in the country where like um I think I think they say that seventy five percent of the water is is used for irrigation, but um it actually feels like it's more, to be honest, because when you see what's in the upper reaches compared to what makes it into the Clutha in the in the height of in the height of summer, you, it's it's hard to say that there's twenty five percent of the river there. It looks more like, um, well, it looks like a hell of a lot less to me. But uh, you know, so so there's and and with with water being taken out of the river, you know, it generally has to make its way back into the river, but it picks up all the nutrients that have been put on the put on the it's has been put on the land. Um, And that that causes a lot of problems in the rivers too with enrichment and and so on. So uh, like it's the New Zealand clean green image is not true and it's not accurate. There's there's a lot of pollution in the rivers out here. We've got some of the most most polluted rivers in the world in New Zealand. Um, So like it's, you know, we'd all love to say that it's perfect. It's clean. It's green. You can drink the water from the rivers. But truth is. You can't, you know, you, you you cannot drink the water from the rivers, um, um, uh, not unless you're in the back country, and, uh, and you know there are still pristine areas like Fjordland that you mentioned there, Tom, and so on. But like, we, we, when you get out of those, when when you're when the rivers are, are are mixed with ourselves, in other words, you know, like with farming and whatever else yeah. we do, um, uh, the rivers suffer. You know, there's no doubt.
2: Very interesting. Just goes to show, doesn't this? You know, sometimes, as you said, the image is there, Ronan, but you know, it's not always completely it's true. A, I mean, look, you know, it,
0: even those, even the rivers that are affected by by pollution, still fish incredibly well. That's that's a funny thing. So we're not sure. I don't know anyway if there, there may be a tipping point where once we cross that line, it will be very hard to come back from. Uh, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I don't understand a lot of a lot of the intricacies of the topic, but. You know, I, I'm see, I, I see pollution and I see farming and I see cow shit and I see great fishing as well. So it's, you know, it's all working together at the moment. We we'll, we'll need to continue.
2: Listen, it's been fascinating talking to you, Ronan, really has. But listen, before you go, there's uh, one thing we want to ask you. we ask everybody, and you have been forewarned, um, ask you the question, what has been your most memorable fish on the fly?
0: right okay so it, this is this is a, a a tough a tough question but I, I i have thought about it but one fish jumped out at me right away so i figured i'll tell that story now you know i mean my first fish on the fly with my father and my grandfather was of course very much up there and uh um but this is an interesting story i thought i so there's a, a, a river uh that i like to fish and uh I first fished it way back with Paul Arden in two thousand and four or something. Um and uh I saw one monster fish and I for whatever reason I never got back up there till two thousand and fifteen. And in two thousand and fifteen I went up there and fished up the river and uh, saw saw a few fish who was, you know, didn't get any and then finally in the in the right right in the middle hooked this monster of a trout on a streamer and I landed it and it was nine pounds and uh or nine and a quarter and it was immaculate it was just this big fat incredibly conditioned fish really spectacular and i was blown away made my day made my season so i um continued fishing that river for a number of years never saw that i think i might have seen that fish once but i didn't see him many times and uh and then in 2000 and so let's say 19, 20, 22. Yeah, no, 2019. I was up there again and I caught a fish in the same pool and it was the same fish. Um, and then I was blown away because, okay, this, it's, it was another massive high in fly fishing because I've seen, it's the same fish again. Um, and, uh, you know, he's he's been in the same pool all these years. I never saw him since, maybe once, but I never definitely saw him since. Um, and now here I am, I've caught him again. So, and, and again, he, he brought me this incredible high of fly fishing, high in, in high in fly fishing. And um, so anyway, I re- released him again and uh, went away. And then the following year, I came up again. And no other fish in the river over the years and fish no other fish seemed to disappear but i got to my my old mate's pool and there he is again and i caught him again and uh at this this time now he looked like he was going a little bit backwards he just lost a little condition but he was still around the nine pounds and another and still amazing the following year i thought okay look i don't really want to I don't want to go up there and catch the same fella again I, I won't bother fishing the river because I know he's the only fish in the river now because literally I hadn't seen any others in the last few, year, few years in those few years fishing it, but this season early this season I went up again and I thought okay hopefully there'll be some new fish in there and uh, up I went again fished up the river got to the pool where he lives uh, and couldn't see him so I sat down had lunch watched the pool nothing got up Tied on a streamer. I was just going to pull a streamer through the pool before I moved on. And as I had tied on the streamer, I, I saw him. He made a real, real slow move around the back of the pool. And whereas I thought I wouldn't be that interested in catching him again, the moment I saw that fish, it was like, holy shit, it's on. Right. And I couldn't, I, you know, I, I backed off, took the streamer off, tied on the nymph. And I said, I don't care how long it takes. If he's If he showed himself once at the back of the pool, he'll come around again. So I watched and waited and waited and waited and waited. And the interesting thing was, you know, two years prior, I thought this fish was going backwards. I even thought he might be dead by now um, because he's a very, very old fish at this stage, like potentially up, up on 20 years old. Um, so anyway, waited for him. Sure enough, I, I put on one of my little, my hotspot nymph and uh, I see the fish coming around the back of the pool flicked it out onto onto him put it out in front and he's I just I saw watched, watched, watched I saw the mouth just a little flicker of the mouth whack it's all on again now what surprised me was the initial drive this thing just bolted up the pool at, a, at, at a, an incredible pace and uh, um, anyway I got stuck into him and uh, stuck him in the net but as he was coming to the net I, I realised I said flipping hell that fish has not gone backwards and he's far from dead It's he. He looks better than ever, and uh, to my absolute amazement, and in fly fishing at this stage, there's not too many things that really surprise me. But this did, and he was he was ten and a half pounds, you know, and uh, you know ten or anything to get a fish over ten is is like the that's that's the trophy. That's that's the that's the real pinnacle, and it really is a high because those fish are so hard to find. Um, and uh, yeah, so so. So th- that is my favorite fish on fly, and I- I've caught him not once but four times. <laughs> wow! And I think that's why it- each time was an amazing high.
2: <laughs> that's the only most memorable fish because it is a memorable fish that's been caught <laughs> on more than one occasion. Four most times. memorable fish on the flies.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, don't, I just might of, of might um, ch- have changed the question to suit myself a little bit there.
1: <laughs> a beautiful story though as well yeah. Lauren, that's fantastic like it's almost as if you got to know the fish like isn't it well, like Oh no, th- look there
0: was definitely a friendship there you know I, 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 well you know he probably didn't feel that way
2: <laughs> well yeah, yeah on your part he was probably giving you the bad you. I, <laughs>
0: like, oh, there, 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 there is a certain feeling when you go up there and it's, it's a very remote place and uh, there's nobody up there there's really nobody else that fish so it. this just one of these really unique little gems that I kind of found through uh, explore, exploring and um and uh, do I watch the river change over the years? And I hope it's a cyclical thing. I don't really know. But, you know, when I first fished it in, well, way back, I won't really count that. But when I fished it in 2015, I was seeing as many as 10 fish in the day. And then as the years went on, every year I'd see less and less and less. And now I'm convinced there's only one fish in it. So, so it's a you're really Your man. F- man. <laughs> my old friend. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, well, Ronan. If people want to, if they're interested, I'm sure you've whetted their appetite in terms of making a trip and, and fly fishing in New Zealand. Um, how can they get in touch in terms of you know queries about guiding and stuff? Uh,
0: yeah, you just get onto my website and you can send me. You can you can. There's a contact me page on my website. It's um, Ronan's Fly Fishing Missions dot com, um, or I'm on Facebook or uh, yeah, what do you call it, uh, Instagram.
1: And the blog,
0: where's the blog? Blog is on sexy loops. So that's my 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 good friend Paul Arden, uh, who I used to fish with out here over the years. He he has a he has a great fly fishing website called uh, sexyloops.com. And I've been writing the blog for that for the last, I don't know, fifteen or twenty years or something.
2: There's some select there's some selection of blogs on it, I can only highly recommend it. You have them all very well chronographed. Um and chronology, so and can start right at the right at the start and move all the way down. They're absolutely fantastic. One
0: one one person did actually, he 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 read it in like a book before he came out. And uh, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't recommend it. He said, <laughs> well, Ronan,
1: it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you again. Um, continued success. You know, I know you're kind of a bit more downtime for the the kind of coming weeks and months for you. But um, best to look for the season again when it, it kicks in, and um, maybe hopefully next time you're back over in Ireland, we'll uh, we'll catch up and uh, meet in yeah. person. You know. Yeah, well, I'm back
0: good. this summer, so I'll definitely be on the on the lake. I'll be on the lake with Tom. So, if you want to make your way down,
2: oh, sure up, there's a podcast of yeah, that now. I yeah. tell
1: you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely another podcast of that. And just, just when you see the dog nobbler, Dara, you know, just drop you know, the hint. <laughs> <laughs> woolly bugger, yeah. sorry. Wooly bugger. That, they're all they the were, they're same. All the to same. Dog nobbler, Woolly Boutil,
1: bugger. <laughs> Ronan, thanks again for joining
2: us. Cheers, Ronan. Fair play to you. Great talking to you. All right. Thanks, Dara. Thanks, Tom. I thanks to Ronan Crane for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from.
1: Plus, you can keep up to date on Irelandonthefly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.